Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for digital transformation leaders where we discuss the latest cyber attack issues, enterprise security strategies, and current security events so that you can successfully accelerate network and security transformation. And now here's what's on our mind this week. Welcome everybody back to another episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Lisa Lorenzen and myself, Pam. So glad you guys joined us. You know, Lisa actually brought up a great topic for us to talk about today. And I think it's a really important one. It's about the role of coaching and identifying coaches throughout your career that will actually ultimately help you transition into a leadership role, basically from a technical background. Many of us who are in leadership today in our roles actually came from being a technician, having hands-on experience and so forth. And how does that technology background help you in your leadership in the future? And with that, maybe Lisa, you can start us off. Could you give us an example of where maybe coaching made a difference early in your career? Yeah, definitely. Maybe about 15 years ago, I had a systems engineer role. I was with Juniper Networks and I was just specializing in a couple of interesting technologies. I was getting involved with some of the firewall, VPN, the early phases of NAC. The gentleman who led the solution architect team was a man named Jim McComb. And he approached me about making the transition from systems engineer to solution architect. And my response to him was, no, wait, that's where the wizards are. You must have mistaken me for a wizard. And he said, how do you think they got to be wizards? So he really encouraged me to take a step up from the role that I was in. And the big important lesson there was that I didn't have to be 100% capable of everything that they were doing on day one that I had a really good, solid technology grounding, and that I had that bigger picture sort of systems thinking approach, and that could grow into the role. I think for women in particular, we have a tendency not to necessarily pursue something if we don't think we're just completely capable of knocking it out of the park. So really getting that encouragement extremely early on that he was the person who ran this team, clearly the expert on who needed to be on that team, And the fact that he thought that I was a good candidate to join that team was really encouraging and inspiring to me. So I would say that if he hadn't come to me and reached out with that, I doubt that I would be in the position I'm in today. What about you? How did coaching help you to get started on your path? Well, you know, Lisa, just to make a point, though, off of that, I think you said it, but I think it's really important to draw it out. The most important thing is be honest about where you're at. Don't freak out because you don't know something. You can't know one. And if anyone tells you they have all the answers, they are full of crap, right? I would say <laughs> another word, but I'll be, I'll be polite. They're full of it. Admit to where you are, what your knowledge level is. And once you do that, keep increasing your knowledge level. Never stop learning. Never stop learning for the opportunities to learn in order to be able to advance yourself. One of the most interesting things I realized in my career was at one point I had a job with Anderson Worldwide, and it was actually the time right before Anderson Consulting and Anderson, Arthur Anderson split. And being in Worldwide, I actually went over to Anderson Consulting and started going around and from a voice perspective in that opening up their America's offices. They would have young people, high schoolers come in and so forth, and they would go ahead and just take a tour and kind of understand the consulting world, all of that. And one of the young high schoolers once asked me, what does it take to be a great consultant? I said, you know what it takes? Don't BS anybody. Actually live the life. Do the duty. Do the job. Once you have hands-on experience, 
you know, you're sitting across from an actual client and you're going to say, well, you should do this, this, and this. Me being the client, why should I listen to you? What knowledge do you have truly hands-on knowledge that's going to help me go ahead and sit back and say, ah, you got a great point. I should take that. It was a great thing that actually came to light of have the hands-on experience, always know, hey, you're going to continue learning and never feel bad that you don't know something, but say it up front that you don't know. Let me find out. I respect that so much when a person is comfortable enough and confident enough in what they do know to be willing to acknowledge what they don't know. There's a wonderful blog post by someone that I admire in the industry, Meredith Patterson, and her post is entitled Dumber Than Socrates. And the idea is if you read the Socratic dialogues, there are two kinds of people who ask Socrates questions. There are the jerks who are trying to score points off him. Look at me, how smart I am. But then there are the students who really are open to learning something new and and acknowledging that there's something they don't know. And so it can be a really valuable thing to take the role of the person in the room who is dumber than Socrates, to ask the question that other people maybe aren't asking, to not be afraid to admit your lack of familiarity so that you can explore deeper into a topic. Maybe it's a question that other people were thinking but not saying. And I've always tried to take that to heart and not be afraid to ask the questions, not be afraid to say, that's not an area that I've looked into. What can I learn from you? And then I can also go get smarter and come back and we can continue this dialogue. No, absolutely. I think it's so important that people take that approach, you know, that it's, it's okay to say, I don't know. You had asked me actually, you know, how did coaching help me get started on my path? Mm-hmm. It, it was actually my dad. My dad wow. was really, he was a phenomenal guy. He had studied, he was an accountant, all that. And he loved working with his hands. He couldn't sit in an office. So he left and he went out, was a welder and, and you know, he had all these patents and so forth for waste management and that. And one of the things I learned from him was his work ethic. My dad had an unbelievable work ethic. He would always tell me, honey, if you're going to do anything, it doesn't matter what you do, but make sure you do it the best you can do it and always go ahead and work on your skills so that you can be better than what you are today. You know, he never went ahead ever and took a sick day. I'd see my dad, he went ahead and dislocated his shoulder and still tried to go to work. And my mom's like, you are a welder. You can't go to work, right? And so that actually, I watched that through my life and I saw how he was successful. He wasn't a rich man, but he was successful in his trade. And I think that's the piece that I took from all of that. Again, no matter what you do, as long as you give it your best, you can be really good at it. And it's funny because it wasn't later into my career that they started coming more and more forward with mentoring programs, Mm -hmm. right? But I'll be honest, for most of my career, to probably like the last 10, 15 years, most of my career, I would just gravitate towards those individuals who I saw was doing great things, or they were really smart, or who could I pick their brain of? Take from what you see, what's around you. There are so many capable individuals that you can receive coaching off of in your day-to-day life that it doesn't have to be this formal mentoring program. I mean, they're great when, when you can find a mentoring program, but look for those around and be smart about who you follow. You'll know in your gut, hey, that's a really smart person. I should pick their brain. I should follow in, see what I can learn from them. Just look around to to who's around you. Oh yeah, and those people might be your peers. They might be people higher on the career ladder. They might be people earlier in their career. I've learned a lot from an SE who's fairly new in their role, but they know something that I don't know and they're willing to share the information. 
all of this web of, I will teach you something, I will learn something from you. We will do that with every person we encounter. And it just makes that web of knowledge stronger and stronger. And I think it's interesting because when you look at your career and how you've developed your career and you've gotten further and further along and you rise through the ranks and so forth, how did you end up in your current role? Oh, well, this is another one that I owe to someone else. I was an SE, then I was a solution architect. I kept that role for over a decade, principal solution architect. When I made the transition from Pulse Secure to Zscaler, I actually just expected to keep the same title. And I was recruited in by a couple of previous colleagues, Denzel Wessels and Manoj Apti. And Manoj was the chief strategy officer at Zscaler. He was the one who said to me, we're bringing you in as a director of emerging technology because what you will find is that to have the conversations that you want to be having, the director title will open doors for you. And so that was a good lesson for me because I hadn't cared about what a title was. That I did for, I guess, two or three years. And at some point, Manoj basically came to me and said, you're too comfortable. You are completely skilled in what you're doing. You have all of the knowledge you need. And I'm going to push you into an area that you aren't as comfortable so that you can continue to grow. And you know me, I like my rut at this point. My rut is carpeted and it has pictures on the wall and it's got drapes on the windows. I realized that he was right. And what he did was he helped me look around within Zscaler and I ended up joining Kavita's team. Kavita runs the customer experience and transformation team because what he says is you've got all the technical knowledge you need at this point. You need to level up to layer eight, to the executive, to the business, to the political, not so much financial directly, but indirectly. How do you help a champion of a new solution get the funding they need, get the mindshare they need? How do we go to business practitioners and give them the knowledge and the language and the ammunition to really pursue a project? And again, it's like, this is not me. I have never been a C-level executive. I've never, I haven't been a practitioner since my days at Blue Cross Blue Shield in the early 2000s. And he said, this is exactly why you should do this. <laughs> and Kavita, to her great credit, was open to it because at the time I was the only person in these roles that wasn't from a customer, that didn't come in like you did, like Dan did. She was open-minded enough to say, okay, even though you're kind of a misfit toy, we're going to make a space for you on the team. And so I've learned a ton from being in the virtual executive briefings that we've done from the CXO roundtables. It really has expanded my horizons to understand that we can have the best technology in the world. And if we cannot provide a business justification, if we cannot help the organization understand the value and the people who are going to need to champion it demonstrate that value, then it doesn't matter how good our technology is. So that's really how I made the transition. And again, it was that coaching first from Manoj to even do this, but then from Cav and Dan, and then you, once you joined us and just doing ride-alongs and listening to the conversation, listening in on the voice of the customer and the VBCs to really learn what's the bigger picture here? What happens when I step out of my little bubble of hands on a keyboard or marker on a whiteboard and actually look at what it takes to get it done politically within an organization, culturally? You know, and it's harder, I think. Layer eight is the hardest layer because if I'm trying to configure a system to do something, it's either going to pass a packet or it isn't. It's either going to apply the right controls or it isn't. And people are nowhere near that simple. 
I love doing customer sessions with you because you have that deep technical background and you can actually put into technical terms and really relate with some of the technical individuals that are on calls where when I come at it, I'm coming from that practitioner side from having a organization that I was running. But I had all those smart people. I had all the smart people that understood technically how this all worked. All I had to do is make sure that they saw what the vision was for tomorrow. That they understood what were we trying to achieve. And with their help, we would find the best technologies to do that. And then I could correlate it back to the business and, and make sure that the business understood what benefits were going to come. So I think it's a great tag team effort of that technical piece with the business application and so forth. So I know you actually went along a similar transition to go from that practitioner side to the transformation strategy side. What did you find as you made that transition? It was interesting changing in this role. My, most of my career has been spent being responsible for an organization. The last one being the largest, it gave me purpose. It gave me drive. It gave me there's a piece, I think, that clicks inside of you if that's what, whatever it is that you're supposed to do, mm -hmm. right, is being what your, your future will be. There was something that worked inside of me in that role. And it's funny, I never saw myself as an individual contributor role. And now I'm in an individual contributor role. Yeah, it's not like most individual contributor roles, but it still is. And I had to figure out and find the purpose in this role be honest, it took me almost four or five months to transition and think, hey, I can find an importance here like I did in my old roles. And finding the purpose, I, you know, I, it was very interesting. I thought the only purpose I could find is if I ran an organization. But I found in this role, I could have a very different purpose, purpose that I helped others. I actually took from the things I learned, the things that I've experienced and helped them try to correlate it to their world. And in doing so, it is kind of like a coaching to them because why go through the hell or the pain I went through if I can help you try to see a different way to look at it? And so what I found is I found a purpose to help others in a different kind of way. But the other piece of this, and you've kind of touched on this with Manoj and Kavitha and so forth, I also had to make a transition into a role that I not only believed in, because that you have to believe in what you're going to do and what you're going to, how it's going to. You'll never be successful in change unless you believe in it. Definitely. And one of the things I knew, and there were other you know, organizations I was looking at and so forth and thinking about, but I knew deep down that this was the right place for me. Knowing Jay Chaudhry and Manoj and Ahmed and Patrick for all these years, I've known them for probably now six, six, six and a half years, being a former customer, I knew the culture. I knew who those individuals were. They were all very good men. Mm -hmm. Men, not only from a business perspective, but they were just good human beings. Right. And because of that, I knew and had confidence in this company. And so here I did, I took this leap of faith. The only one I didn't know was Kavitha, which my interview with her was supposed to be 45 minutes, two and a half hours later on a Friday evening. I'm like, I think I better let you go, right? And there was that same kind of click with her. And it's interesting, you know, Lisa, because when I look back at my career, the people I worked for, the actual roles I had, when I had them that worked for people that I respected, I looked up to, I looked for guidance, I looked for coaching, I looked for all those things. I was so successful in my roles. When it was that maybe I had somebody that wasn't quite up to par where I thought it should be, I wasn't very successful in those roles. 
Now that's on me. However, that's when you know, ah, it's time for me to change. It's time for something new. But I think everyone needs to look for those traits in their leaders to understand where is my next job? Where is my next role? Where, is, where am I going to contribute? That's kind of how I see it. For you, how does that coaching factor in your career tie in? Oh, gosh. I think that today I look at coaching in a couple different ways. We both report to Dan Shelton, and he is one of the best managers I've had across a career of being amazingly fortunate in my managers. And one of the best things he does for me is he really calls me on my BS, frankly. (laughs) I mean, there are times when I get wound up about something and I am just, I'm just hot. And he'll listen. That is one of the most important things. He will let me get it out of my system. And then he will say, let's think about how you're reacting to this. Let's think about what you can do constructively in this situation. I am a hothead. My dad was Italian. I'm pretty pleased at the fact that I take after him. So I got my determination from my mom, but I got my temperament from my dad. And over you know, a few decades of working with other humans and living with someone I love very much, I've learned that I can't just go off. But Dan is incredibly helpful because he can give me constructive criticism with empathy in a way that makes me feel like he's really trying to help me and not just smack in my hand when I'm already upset about something. So I would say that no matter how far along I get in my career, having someone who can do that for me is incredibly helpful to me. And then the other piece of it is I realize now that other folks are either looking to me for coaching or I have the opportunity to offer some of that back to to make it full circle. So I have a mentee who is in a STEM Advantage program. She is a college senior. There is nothing so terrifying as the responsibility of knowing that she's embarking on her career And of all the people she could have as a mentor, she has me and I have to be worthy of that, right? I have to figure out what can I say to her that's useful to her from a perspective that is so far removed from hers. What lessons can I give her that I wish I'd known early in my career, but what with all the changes that have happened? So I spend a lot of time thinking about trying to walk that line. And then I realize also that I joined the internal mentorship program and opened up myself as a mentor. And the the woman who signed up is someone I look up to in the company. She's one of our really successful sales reps, Vishali. And I reached out to her and I said, honestly, I was really surprised that you signed on to have me as your mentor because I would have thought it would go the other way. And she said, you know, we can, we can mentor each other. So just really realizing that number one, being open to improving, like you said, always improving. There's always something I can improve. And I used to be more focused on improving my technical breath, but now Working with you, you know, we're kind of the wonder twins. Then my joke is that I'm theory, but you're practice. I can learn from my peers. I can learn from my management. I can learn when I talk with my STEM mentee, I learn things from her. So just really trying to keep that flowing and to try to put back into sort of this community, all of the things that I've gained from it as well. That's where I am today with how I think about mentoring. How about you or coaching or this whole range of things that are in that There's not even one good word for it. There isn't because so many can call it a different word. It it doesn't matter. What do I learn today? Right. And and I have to agree with you. You know, I didn't call Dan out when I went through my list only because at the time Dan and I were peers, he was working for another organization. I was working for my previous organization and we would actually meet up at the cabs and the tax and so forth. And we chit chat. And then when I came over to Zscaler and I didn't really even have to interview with them because he knew me for about three, three and a half years. And it was mm-hmm. great. And Dan makes it so easy. Dan has a, a management style that 
to your point, you can be very honest and point blank with him. And he just sits there and he listens. Yeah. And he doesn't judge. He doesn't, none of that. Just, okay, well, look at it this way and gives you another perspective and so forth. I think the other piece that I learned really early in on my career is this isn't personal. This is business. Mm -hmm. One of the things I would tell people, and, and we had gone in my previous role, we had gone through a difficult time and we had moved to manage services. And in the change to move to manage services, one of the things we had to do was there was a number of staff that were displaced, either went with a managed service provider or they were close to retirement or you know how this whole story goes. And I'll never forget, there was one individual and she was the last one that I would have ever wanted to have displaced somebody I really looked up to. I said, you know, how do you handle this? This is the first time I have to do this. And this person I looked up to, she said, you know, it's not personal. Make sure she understands it's not personal. And I'll never forget, she stood in my door, you know, to say goodbye. And she came in and she's crying. Now I start crying. And I said, this isn't personal, right? This has nothing to do with your workability. And I think the other piece from a coaching and, and mentoring perspective is you have to be able to separate out what is personal and what is business? Just because something happens in business doesn't mean it has any reflection on who you are as an individual, your values, any of that. And that was great advice because I looked at her and as we're crying, which was so unprofessional in my role, I said to her, this isn't about who you are as an individual. You're a great person. I love, I love the fact that I got to know you as an individual. This is just a business decision and has no bearing on who you are. And I think it's important to always keep that in perspective also. And, and again, I, I thank one of my earlier coaches and, and giving me that insight because it actually helped me, I think, ultimately help her. Right? Yeah. And screw being professional in that moment. You were letting her see that this was as hard for you as anything that you'd had to do. I mean, I think the right thing to do there is show your feelings and not just deliver this in some bland professional way, you know? Yeah. So I think that the definition of professional, frankly, can be a little binding. Sometimes stepping out of that box lets us be more human with the people that we care about. Absolutely. And you make a good point too about Patrick and Jay and Amit. That's, I guess, another element of coaching is that it doesn't have to be active engagement. I look at Jay and I take from him, he's got to be a billionaire many times over now. He walks into a room and he learns from other people. He doesn't walk in like I have all the answers. He walks in with, this is what I have to share. What can I learn from you? He's constantly absorbing information from people. Or Patrick, Patrick is the master, Patrick Foxhoven, our CIO, is the master of yes and. When you listen to him have a conversation, he always finds a way to find the common ground and then build from there. And when we're doing something transformative, that can be a real challenge when we're trying to move away from one paradigm and into another one. I would consider the two of them to be people I've gotten coaching from them, and they might not have even realized it. But that's true, though. I, I was once in a conversation with Jay, and Jay said to me, I said, you know, is there something I can do different? Actually, in the conversation, he asked me that first. He said, PM, in my last presentation with this new deck, do you have any suggestions for me? Is there something I could improve on? And I, I sat back and I was like, whoa, the CEO and founder of Zscaler is asking me, what could he do different? What could he maybe improve on? That shows you, it doesn't matter what level you are, you can continue to grow and expand and develop. And if that doesn't tell you something, my goodness, right? Absolutely. So to wrap it up, I think that some of the most valuable points here are coaching, mentoring, learning takes place all the time at every stage of a career. And it can come from a variety of sources. 
You can look at your managers, your peers, your direct reports, the executives of your company, people outside of your sphere, and really figure out what you can learn from each of them, but also to make it a two-way street, to return that to model behavior for other people who may be looking at you. Especially, it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to show emotion. It's hard to discuss weaknesses in a corporate context. And I think that sometimes within the right guardrails, not worrying so much about being professional and just being people with each other can be one of the most powerful things of all. That's it for today. Really appreciate everybody who continues to join us and we will look forward to welcoming you back in the future. And thanks, Pam. It's always fun to talk with you about stuff like this. You too. Everybody have a great day. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Lisa Lorenzen and Pam Kubiatowski on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.